Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We put such an emphasis on fitness, right? A lot of people talk about their fitness regimen all the time. And boy, they put it on their social media all the time. You know, how many pictures of people from the gym have you seen, right? Countless pictures of people in the gym. And they're all decked out. They got the headphones on and they got the outfit. They're ready to go. Um, people talk about their fitness class. Little Sarah loves to go to boxing lessons. That's what she's doing for Valentine's Day. But in reality, fitness... Um, if you think just back to when you were a kid, it's probably less common now that people are involved in it overall, even though we talk about it a lot than we were back then. It's, it's tougher to access anyway than it used to be. So to help us walk through why that is, we're going to chat with Natalia Melman Petrozella, an associate professor of history at the New School University in New York City, also the author of Fit Nation, The Gains and the Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. Natalia, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. I'm so glad to be here. How are you? I'm great. I'm really good. Uh, you know, when we talk about fitness being more unaccessible than ever, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because that's all we hear about from some people and so many people are involved and they're all over social media. It seems like it's way more accessible and everybody's doing it. So help us make sense of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, much of what made me want to write this book is that I realized exercise is everywhere because as you see it say, people are constantly talking about it. We're being marketed products and clothing and supplements and all the rest. But if you actually look, at least here in the United States, at who has access to it, it's relatively elite. And actually what's been happening here is that we've been cutting funding for physical education and public schools, for, you know, parks and recreation and swimming pools and all these places where it actually could be more accessible. So that kind of got me started on this like 10 year long research project. When did it switch? Like, I mean, it became, it became a thing, right? And it wasn't all that long ago, was it? Yeah, so I mean, I think a big thing that happens is like when you, as you have this country move from being a kind of agricultural and manual labor economy to being a service economy, that happens in like the 1920s, the 1950s, again, in a really big way. There's this realization that, oh my gosh, people's everyday lives are becoming more and more sedentary. And so they've got to kind of do something to counteract that. And so that's when you start to have these kind of more attention to deliberate exercise. So that's when you see it kind of start to shift that this idea even that exercise is something people should like build into their day but then there's another level to i think what you're talking about which happens starts to happen in the 1960s but really takes off in the 80s 90s and beyond where participating in fitness and making that time in your day becomes more of a like consumer activity than just you know spending time with family or spending time in nature that's really kind of when that happens um so with everything that's out there now, is it just cost? I mean, is that what it is? Is that the barrier? Because like you say, we've got, I mean, there's smoothie stores, there's a yoga studio on every corner, we've got supplement stores. I mean, it's everywhere. Fitness is everywhere you go. Um, so to make it less accessible, is it cost? Is that what we're talking about overall? I think, so cost 
is definitely part of it. And like, you know, it's so true that we've seen in recent years, the high points and the sort of elite side of the fitness industry reach price points that no one ever imagined, I think, was possible in terms of what people are willing to pay for. But that being said, the lower end is thriving too. Like low cost budget exercise is having a moment. And there is quite a bit of free stuff available online. I think as I think cost is definitely one thing. Like there should be more stuff that's just like free and funded by the state and the right of everybody who is, you know, alive today to participate in. But I think just as much as cost, like there are other things that are related to economic inequality but aren't as clear as like the money in your pocket. For example, if you live in a neighborhood where you don't have access to green space, like that's a real issue. If you live in a body, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, your opportunities to go running outside and feel like that's safe are much more limited. If you're someone who doesn't have a lot of control over your working hours, like you could be on a shift tonight and then one tomorrow morning, like that makes it a lot harder to exercise. Same with your journey to work. If you have to drive or trans or commute far away, if you don't have childcare, if you yeah. don't have indoor space, we saw that in the pandemic. All of those things are related to inequality, but they're not as clear is like here's 20 bucks yeah. go join a gym what's wrong with you <laughs> yeah and barriers are barriers you're absolutely right natalia it yeah. doesn't matter um what's the fix then i mean how, i mean how do we do that yeah such a great question so i but this is when sometimes i'm like well i'm a historian not a future forecaster <laughs> but i do i do think something that's so important is that we've got to think really more expansively both in the public sector and the private sector about working together to really create more accessible opportunities for exercise, but also opportunities for people to exercise on their own terms. Like people often ask me like, oh, do you want to go back to the PE programs of like the 1950s and 1960s, which were more robust? And I'm like, I actually don't. Like I would love federal support for physical education, but those were really alienating. These were like a very hierarchical, you know, let's get in line by who can climb the rope faster. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to go back to that. And I actually think the industry has done a great job of creating lots of different fun things, whether it's dancing or CrossFit or whatever it is. And so I think we need to have public private partnerships that take some of that innovation, but make it accessible at your community recreation center, at your public school, in places where not just those who can afford it um, participate. Um, is that about a function of the way that we grow up? Like I'm, I'm like 51. And I remember when I was a kid, like a lot of the things that you're talking about, unstructured sort of just having fun and fitness just being, you know, not such a a focus thing. It's just sort of opening it up and being in the green space and playing in the playground. The kids don't do that anymore, Natalia. It's just, it's, yeah. I mean, we, we, we don't have our kids involved like that anymore. Yeah, something I think that is so, like, hard to wrap our heads around is that we both have an epidemic of sedentariness yeah. among children. And, you know, that's connected to all sorts of things, video games and social media and all that. But then at the other end, we also have, like, a hyper-professionalization and specialization yes. around sports. Like, And that is another part of, I think, youth uh, fitness, which can seem the opposite. But I think actually both of those things contribute to the same problem. That for the vast number of kids, in the middle, there's not that many opportunities to like just have fun and yep. play pick up basketball or do a program that's once or twice a week and that includes kids who maybe aren't that agile with ones who are more 
skilled. Like we segment that out so quickly. And so, yeah, I do think that this all begins with children. And that's why, ironically, even though I hated physical education more than anything when I was a kid, I think that the schools are a really, really good place to start this because that's the place when most kids are going to encounter structured exercise in one form or another. And so many of them find it alienating, either because it's a waste of time, it's like not that fun, or because it's really, you know, traumatizing because they're not skilled. And there are some really great physical educators out there. This is not a knock on the profession at all. I just want more resources and more attention to that profession to do more with that really valuable time. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree. You're absolutely right. And Natalia, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. That's Natalia Melman Petrozola, who, uh, Petrozella, who uh, has done some work around, you know, why, I mean, half, half of Americans are, are, have an obesity problem. Half. And the other half are on social media talking about how they're in the gym all the time. But it, I, I just, I think it's, she makes a really good point about sport becoming so specialized, right? Like, um, as a kid, we just used to go and just a bunch of kids in the neighborhood play pickup baseball or soccer or football or street hockey or whatever it is. And I can't think of the last time I saw kids playing street hockey. And it used to be everywhere, you know, and our little group would play against another little group. And it just doesn't seem to happen as much. It's all very structured. It's not kids. Will just, you know, how do you occupy a kid? Give them a ball. They'll play. Kids will play if you just give them a chance to just go out and play. But a lot of it's really, really structured. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.